0: A few years ago, a Focus staff member asked Alexis if she had any prayer needs.
1: And at that time, my heart was so tender, and I really was feeling like I wanted to give up on this marriage. So I just told him (laughs) quite straightly, like, I need help. We need help. Our marriage is very difficult, and would you pray for our marriage?
0: And he did. She also found help on the radio. Focus on the
1: Family saved my life. It just was the lifeline that I needed every single day to keep going and keep hoping. I'm Jim Daly. Help us save
0: more families every month by calling 800 A Family or donate at focusonthefamily.com/family.
2: Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. Erin, what's the
0: number one thing a mom should do as her child enters the grade school years?
3: My first answer is to pray, because this is your child's experience. They're starting kindergarten, and you need to remember that it's not you that's going, and it's not you that's doing anything, but it's their chance to start out into the world. And so you just need to pray as you send them out that you'll make good choices and that they'll be able to just grow the way that God wants them to grow.
2: Mm. Well, and I think every mom listening said, yeah, I'm praying. I've been praying. <laughs> and that is, uh, that is one of many things that you can do as you help your child go into the educational experience. Uh, that's Erin McPherson, and she's the author of The Christian Mama's Guide to the Grade School Years. And she's also joined by her mom and mentor, Ellen Schupneck. And uh, we are so glad to have them here on Focus on the Family with Jim Daly. I'm John Fuller. And Jim, this should be an eminently practical program for any mother who is worried about what's ahead here for school.
0: It is, John. And I think uh, this book is really covering kindergarten through fourth grade. And those are exciting times. I mean, I can remember being a kindergartner. And I was uh, first day of school, my mom had to drag me to school because I didn't want to go. Who wants to go? and uh, i mean you can't be sane and want to leave all day because y- y- how are you going to play yeah, home is all i know and it's a pretty good deal <laughs> it's a good deal you get snacks mm-hmm. all that good stuff so she drags me to kindergarten and i fall in love with the teacher i guess it's what you say it was a puppy crush <laughs> and i didn't want to leave that afternoon oh my. so my teacher had to actually push me all the way back home <laughs> fortunately i lived a block from school but i mean it was so funny mm. in fact my mom she was so smart. My mom said, oh, do you like your teacher? I said, oh, I love my teacher. She's so nice. Mrs. Smith. Now, who doesn't have a teacher named Mrs. Smith? She said, well, why don't you invite her over for dinner? And I asked my kindergarten teacher (laughs) out to dinner. And I said, can you come to my house for dinner? And she was so kind. And she said yes. So I remember dinner at my house. My mom and her sat at the dining room table and ate. I sat with a TV tray and watched Batman. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that was my first date, and uh, boy, I don't know why Jean said yes, but uh, anyway, kindergarten, it just has all that trauma and opportunity, right?
3: A lot of trauma and a lot of opportunity, but I have to say for me, the trauma was more for me than for my son. i They've told us in a memo that we had to let our kids walk into the school by themselves so they could get used to it and because yeah, i think they didn't you. want a bunch of parents <laughs> in there. <laughs> and so i had to just drop him off at the curb and i had nightmares about that. Like i was up, i was like, "Well, what if he falls? What if someone picks on him? What if he can't find his classroom? What if he just wanders off?" And my husband was like, "Are you serious? He has to walk 10 <laughs> steps."
0: <laughs> well, Aaron, it's natural for young moms to think in those ways and dads too. I think we have become far more protective because we perceive, at least, and I think it's true, there's so much more danger lurking that we uh, batten down the hatches. We're, you know, making sure they're never alone. And is that healthy or unhealthy?
3: I think it's unhealthy but because they do obviously need experiences on their own. But I also think that when they're five, it's really hard to let go, and they're not ready to completely be on their own. They're not ready to walk all the way into the school by themselves. They need a little bit of a hand.
0: Ellen, you are mom here for Erin, and I love the way she talks about you, the relationship you have comes through. And it sounds like every time – your daughter, Erin, is in a jam. She calls mom. You're like the red phone in the house. <laughs> it's the bat phone. Just I oh, guess okay. there's an analogy <laughs> here. It's going to be all through the program. <laughs> it's all <now>. about Batman. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's just I, I love that because that's the way it should be. You, you also, the big benefit for Erin here is that you were an educator for 35 years. So you're coming with wonderful experience. You can help her substantially. Talk about that experience being an educator. Is what we're talking about, have you seen those changes where kids had more independence, uh, perhaps, at an earlier age than they do today?
4: I think there's a big shift there. But there's also, I have to say, it's really fun for me to have gone through that experience myself and now watch my children with their grandchildren going through there.
0: Do you bite your lip?
4: I do. <laughs> um, and I think the same message is clear in any generation, that the kids, parents have to let the kids learn and make the mistakes and grow from these challenges.
0: Uh, why are we afraid of those mistakes?
4: The current generation of parents, I think they, they so badly want their kids to be successful like any generation, but I think they're more apt to feel like they're responsible and it reflects on them. And so they're so, I love young moms. I work with a lot of young moms at school with the parents and they feel a lot of guilt and worry. And I try to just tell them to relax because the kids do need to learn and they learn and let them learn when it's safe,
0: when they're Mm -hmm. little. How do we let go? A real practical question. We all struggle with that because I think we're breeding control freaks. Mm-hmm. And in us, I mean, the the, the environment is making us more control oriented. So, how do we actually uh, take a deep breath and let go a little bit?
3: I was going to say the story I told you about my son having to walk into the school by himself. First of all, I practiced. My husband thought I was crazy. You I took, actually practiced I, I took that. him like the day before school started, and I was like, we will just going to practice walking. I mean, it's literally 10 steps.
0: And was the practice more for you than yeah, him? Yeah, it
3: was for me because he was like, <laughs> I'm fine, Mom. But then I pulled out of the school driveway that morning, and I pulled into the side road, and I sobbed because I was like, my baby, he's in school. What am I going to do with my life?
0: Hmm.
3: And at that moment, I realized I have to let God have my son for these you know, six hours a day.
0: Now, we also want to recognize that they are all different type of educational choices. We got homeschoolers and we have private Christian schools. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot of different educational choices today. So we're not grading those in any way. But parents who are choosing to place their children in school outside the home That's the environment we're talking about.
3: Well, I think we're kind of talking about all the environments in the book. We actually go through all the different choices. And it's actually interesting. When I wrote the book, my son was going to public school. And last summer, I woke up one morning in July after all of the private school deadlines were long over. And I thought, I cannot send him back there. And it wasn't because I had a problem with it. It wasn't, I loved the school. He did a great job there. But I just felt God really telling me that there was something else. And I pursued it. And I prayed about it, and I didn't tell my husband because he really liked the public school too. And a couple weeks later, he told me, we can't send him back there. We're going to have to send him somewhere else. So both of us kind of came to this conclusion on our Mm -hmm. own. So I actually moved my son into a private university model school where he goes two days a week to school and two days a week school at home and started my daughter there. So I've done both. So I do the homeschool, we do the public school, we've done the private school. So,
0: Um, Ellen, you came up with a list of 15 factors uh, that identify success in children. And uh, if you could, why don't you identify two or three out of the 15? And we'll post those on the website as well. Mm -hmm. But uh, identify a couple of those that actually indicate a child is moving in a healthy direction.
4: One of them is the initiative. And we were talking about a little bit earlier about having
0: initiative, having
4: initiative. Parents today, I feel like young moms like to think that if they worry, they care more. And I always tell them, worry doesn't mean you care more. You need to let your child go and let them grow and have the initiative to try things out, to approach their teachers, to walk into the school alone, all those things that we're trying to do to help them grow in their own initiative, really. Mm. So I think initiative is a huge one.
0: Let's explore that for a minute because that's very interesting to me. Uh, One of the things, I've written a book about fathering. And so often, both moms and dads today, we tend to want to uh, make it easier. So the the analogy that I used was kids climbing trees at the park Mm. It's so fascinating. If you watch parents today, a lot of moms and dads will actually put their child up on the limb rather than letting them climb it, Hmm. which I find very interesting. And it's almost we're saying you don't have to work hard. We don't want you to fail. We don't want you to fall. And nobody wants their child to fall out of the tree. But rather than struggle and maybe the first few times they can't get up on the limb like their friends and they're down at the bottom maybe crying, let them go. Let them go because, you know, what that pressure will create the desire to get up there, and they'll find a way. But so often we want to bail our children out, don't we?
4: And if you ask a mom or a dad what they are most proud of, often it involves a challenge that they overcame. And yet our tendency is made we want to take away the challenges from our kids, the very lessons that grow. So letting them figure out how to face a challenge on their own mm. grows confidence like nothing else.
0: It does, and especially in school. I, uh, you know, this is a seventh grade analogy, not a young grade school analogy. But uh, one of my boys was doing a science project, and he was struggling. The first few assignments, he didn't do well with the grade. Yet he was telling Gene and me, don't worry, I've got it, I've got it. At one one point at the table he had to say, I feel like you guys are really judging me. Mm -hmm. So I said to Gene, let's just back off, let's just back off. And we did. And thankfully, I mean, it ends with a happy story. I'm not sure how I would have responded in the other way. But he ended up placing very high Mm -hmm. in in the final competition. Mm -hmm. And I could tell he was beaming about it because he had told us, in essence, I got it, back off, Don't judge me in the early stages here. I'll do it. Mm -hmm. And he did. And his confidence was so much healthier in in a good way. That's what you're saying,
5: isn't it? It's exactly.
4: And another one would be just being teachable. And a child who prefers maybe to think they know it all because they don't want to admit that there's something they don't know. And little kids will do this because for some reason, this idea that you have to know everything And to put on this idea that there's nothing to learn starts very early in kids. And Mm -hmm. letting them be okay about not knowing something and learning it. And it's a hard lesson to teach for the child. I think Joey, when he was little, liked to be the coach, even if he didn't know the skills. Mm -hmm. Because he wanted to kind of feel like he knew it all. Mm. Knowing it's okay that as adults, we all have to learn, too. Uh,
0: So initiative is one resilience is another one that you have on that list. I I identify with resilience. I think it's critical. It kind of fits with initiative. But resilience is being able to take the blows and still keep moving. Why is that important for a child?
4: Because that's what life is really about. It's about mm. life life is a series of unexpected things and I feel like When parents recognize their job is to grow children who can face what comes rather than trying to pave the way ahead and make it easy, they're raising kids who can handle whatever God's going to give them to do and what life's going to throw at them.
0: Mm. Uh, Let me ask you about another one that caught my attention, genuine faith. It's interesting that you list it that way as opposed to just faith. What do you mean by genuine faith?
4: We want our kids to behave well, and parents want their kids to be respectful and know how to be kind in their words when they talk to adults. And we're looking at these outward appearances, and it's very easy to replace the gospel with moralism.
0: How do you create a lesson like that? Let's, let's just go through it. First, second, third grade. Give us an example of teaching genuine faith, a Christ-heartedness with your child. Give us a picture of that.
3: Well, I'm going to say, like I always say, my mom was working on her blog the other day, and I was reading it, and it was talking about the desires of your heart. And if a kid just desires to be good so they don't get in trouble, then their desire may – it may work when they're eight and it's easy, but when it gets hard, they don't. And so she was talking about how to teach kids to truly desire God and to truly know him, and part of that involves knowing him and knowing who he is and how he works with us. So I think a big lesson for that is just – helping kids to learn to desire God.
4: And not focusing so much on outcomes. I think parents want good grades. We all want our kids to be so successful, as you said. But it's the process. It's what they do along the way that they're learning more about who they are and who God is.
2: This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment.
1: Clubhouse is really edifying in every part of it.
2: A resource that supports your values.
3: We subscribe to other magazines and every once in a while there will be a story that questions a parent's authority or kids behave in a way that I don't like and we never have that problem with Clubhouse. I can trust it.
2: Learn more about Focus on the Family Clubhouse and Focus on the Family Clubhouse Junior Magazines at focusonthefamily.com slash clubradio. Hey,
0: it's Jim Daly here. Just so you know, it's time. Time for a challenge. Time to not only be a Christian, but live your faith. Bring Your Bible to School Day is the next Live It Challenge on October 5th. Nationwide, kids will team up to share the gospel at their schools. To learn more or register your children for the first time, visit bringyourbible.com. His word gives us confidence. So let's
2: live it up. bringyourbible.com Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming.
0: I need to ask this question because I think, again, as parents, we often want and expect the perfect outcome. Mm -hmm. And so we're on our kids about that, And no matter what it is, grades, behavior. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, it's good to have that expectation. But we also have to leave room for experiential learning. In other words, what you're saying is if you go beyond that boundary, here's what's going to happen. How does a parent move from uh, kind of that younger age where maybe they're five or six into the seven, eight age group where they need to kind of figure it out? You need to let them feel the pain and consequence of their decision. Whereas before, it's almost like you're moving from that parent to more of a coach If I could say it that way.
4: Well, it's interesting that you would say that. That's what we call our parents in those years. And we train our parents at the school where my grandchildren go to move out of that teacher role to a coach alongside as the child is trying on right behavior. And they often in the process will try on wrong behavior Mm. and allowing them the freedom to make mistakes, the freedom to fail and feel on their own what that feels like. Then they change
0: again, is it when you 're in that public environment particularly the freedom to fail that 's a kind of a bigger pill for mm. mom and dad to swallow? well, because- this
3: is an interesting concept in public schools right now where they 're going away from you know you have to get these perfect grades, you have to or you 'll get detention if you 're tardy to a place where kids have to solve the problem, so a kid 's tardy ten times. They tell the teacher, Well, this is what I need to make sure I'm not tardy. I need to know that I'm going to be in detention every day, and they're in detention, or I need to write an essay about being late. And suddenly, the responsibility for coming up with their own consequence um, these kids are basically forced to analyze their behavior. And this is in public schools, public high schools in really rough cities. It's really working. Mm-hmm. And I think that translates to parents like, allow your kids almost figure out their own consequences for their behavior.
0: Well, and you know, what's interesting about that is that oftentimes in those uh, settings, there may not be a strong parental role model. Mm -hmm. They may be um, something like what I lived. I mean, I didn't have a parent saying, be home by nine o'clock. And you've got to, as a child, you got to begin to set your own boundaries. Mm -hmm. Now that has to be healthy And hopefully the the adults in that environment are making sure, yeah, my penalty for being tardy is I get a donut.
3: Well, and that's the thing. They have to work with a counselor and a teacher to come up with their own restoration policies, what they call it, to restore themselves to Mm -hmm. where they should be. And so
4: working together and coming up with it, I think that makes – I love the idea of restorative justice. Mm. I do too. And I think that when kids come up with their own solutions to their problems, they're often a little harder on themselves than the adults would be. And Mm -hmm. they come up with creative ways that they own and are willing to follow through on.
0: That's true. I've heard it as well, that oftentimes kids will be much more severe (laughs) in terms of their consequence. And maybe we should try that at home. What's an appropriate age to begin to do that? I think it's a gradual thing. I think as
4: much opportunities you can give your children, even in the young preschool, kindergarten ages, to solve their own problems, as much responsibilities you can give them. You need to do it. And
0: it's- if it comes to that kind of disobedient behavior, it, would that be appropriate? Or are we talking about other things where it's not defiance per se? It, for me, defiance seems to fit into a separate category all its own.
3: I agree. I think it's defiance is different. I think this is more like you've hurt someone else or you've hurt yourself in a way, whether it's intentional or unintentional, and you solve the problem. So you accidentally spilled the milk. You have to clean it up. You...
0: When you're looking at those early years of, of grade school, let's top out at fourth grade, what should that fourth grader look like, he or she, going into fifth grade? What are the characteristics of their nature that you want them to possess?
4: By fourth grade, I think they know how to be respectful, first of all. They need to know how to be a good friend, how to share, how to turn in their homework, how to complete their work on their own They need to have the basics down of behavior. Mm. They need to know what it looks like.
0: Uh, Talk to us about the overdoing of praise, because you can see that as well. When children aren't really earning your praise, but because we've been told as parents, make sure you're praising your kids. We say, wow, I've never seen anybody eat a bowl of cereal the way you've just eaten that (laughs) cereal. You're awesome. High five me. Mm. Kids can go, wow, that's all you'd need for you know, strokes here, that's pretty easy. Do we give our kids a challenge when we're overpraising them?
3: I think not only do we not give them a challenge, but we also kind of set ourselves up as liars. Like you say, you're the smartest kid in the entire world.
0: And the kids figure it out. And then the
3: kid figures out, wait, I got a C on this. I'm (laughs) not the smartest kid in the entire world. My mom lied to me. Um,
0: Do they really process it that way?
3: I think some older kids could. Hmm. I think the important thing is to praise the effort, to praise the process you worked really hard on that math assignment. I'm proud of you. You've done a really good job of trying to learn patience. And so don't
0: overstate it.
3: Right. And praise the process and the effort and what they're working on instead of these amazing feats. And also don't praise something that God gave them. Why? Like, You're the most beautiful person in the world. That's a gift from God. Mm. Praise God. What they're doing.
0: Do you make a a distinction uh, in these early years of grade school between the gifts God has given you and the attributes that you have honed? Is there a distinction that you would make? I think there
3: is. I think you can say something like, you know, God gave you a talent to be a writer, and I'm really proud of you for honing it and working so hard to get better.
0: Sometimes you don't want to have them rest, right? So they they get lazy with the talent God has given them. How do you motivate a child Uh, Perhaps when you notice the gift and then the gift isn't being developed.
4: I love your question here because I think that if we continue to praise our kids for work ethic and the process, we continue to motivate them to get better. And if the flattery comes in, they may see no reason to get better, but they also may be afraid to try because it may not meet the standards you've set about them. So they'll hide behind, what if I'm not really as good as my mom said I
0: was?
4: (laughs) So the praise on the effort, if they see that work ethic is what really sets up success down the road, that it's growth. And praise that. Yes.
0: Yeah. Erin, you talk in your book, The Christian Mama's Guide to the Grade School Years. uh, You talk about being in college and having a season where you fell away from your faith. Talk about that. Did you feel you weren't ready? Uh, Was there something in your early experience that perhaps provided the root for that? Um, What was happening?
3: I think I got to college and I realized I had a lot of freedom. And I realized that I had known what was right and wrong. But I hadn't necessarily, like I said earlier, desired what was right and wrong. And I wasn't truly seeking God in my life. So I figured, hey, it's way more fun to just do what I want, to sleep in on Sunday and hang out with my friends. And it just wasn't important enough to me to stick to God, even though I still knew he was real.
0: That's a very typical story that we'll get here at Focus on the Family. Parents of 18-, 19-, 20-year-olds, especially those that go off to college, not everyone goes off to college, but they do have a moment where their faith is in a crisis because mom and dad who have set those boundaries and have monitored Uh, perhaps overly monitored, their children aren't ready to launch. And so they get into that environment where there may be parties and other things, and they really have not developed the skill set to say no. How do you do a better job? How do we as parents do a better job launching our children to be able to get into an environment where we're not around them and they make the right decisions?
3: Yeah, it's that genuine faith where they do the right thing even when they don't have to or they're not being forced to. I'm going to let you answer that.
4: (laughs) Well, I think one of the most important things we can do is be okay with the kids asking the tough questions at home, being a safe place to talk about the tough things. And that's hard for Christian families because we don't want to hear doubt. We don't want to hear these questionings. And yet in those middle school adolescent years where they are questioning inside and they don't want to bring it out, if we could help our kids to be safe – Mm. in talking about it.
0: Let me ask you this because temperament can play into this. I'm just a parental temperament. Um, Jean and I, Jean's a science person. She did biochemistry. I've said this before, John, but when she makes pancakes, it's exactly one (laughs) cup. And Mm -hmm. she takes a knife Mm -hmm. and she scrapes the excess flour. I mean, Mm -hmm. I don't get the cup. Out. I just (laughs) throw it in, mix it up, and sometimes they're good and sometimes they're not so good, I must admit. But uh, the point of that is that those styles in parenting can play into this because, especially in in our Christian experience, uh, we hold ourselves to a high standard. We want our children to live to a high standard. And sometimes we become intolerant of failure. And I think all along, God is saying, uh, like in the prodigal story, love that child yes. because that in the end is what will make the difference uh, through thick and thin, through right and wrong. And the earlier they can make some of those mistakes, actually, the better it is so that they can go off better prepared to confront those pulls and those things that they're going to encounter once they're out of the home. Is that fair? Would you add something to that, Ellen?
4: Absolutely. And that they see when they make the mistakes, when they're under your roof, that you still love them, that your connection to them is not based on their perfection, but based on their desire to grow and learn and that you're going to love them even if they're in a mess.
2: That's Ellen Schuknecht, and she and her daughter Erin McPherson joined us today on Focus on the Family and what great practical advice they offered to ensure that those years of early grade school are some of the best parenting years as you mold and shape the character of your child.
0: You know, John, navigating those early years in school can be tough, and it's such a privilege to be able to share this kind of advice and information, especially as everyone is heading back to school. We also have a fantastic podcast called Thriving Student, What Your Child Needs for School Success, and it's available wherever you listen to podcasts and on our website. You'll hear from great parenting experts like Dr. Kevin Lehman, Dr. Kathy Cook, and many others who will help you and your child gear up for heading back to school to school. Uh, You know, we receive letters from parents all the time that needed a boost or didn't know how to handle a particular situation with their children. And because of your financial support, we've been able to be there for them and give them the answers that
2: they're seeking. Mm -hmm. And one mom wrote to us saying, your broadcast has led me to study more deeply and respond more effectively in my relationships. I love the way you always direct us through the word of God and hit real life situations. Well, the only
0: way we can continue to offer that kind of help is because of you, our listeners. Your gifts and donations reach hundreds of thousands of families every year, and we are committed to fulfilling the work God has called us to do, and we want you to join in that. In fact, when you donate a gift of any amount today, we'll send you a copy of Aaron's book, The Christian Mama's Guide to the Grade School Years, as our way of saying thank you
2: for standing for the family. Donate today to the Ministry of Focus on the Family and request your copy of The Christian Mama's Guide to the Grade School Years. Our number is 800, the letter A in the word family, 800-232-6459, or you can uh, contribute to the work of Focus and request that book at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back next time as we help you and your family thrive in Christ. You're listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We'll take a quick break here and then return with another faith-building program for your family. Stay tuned.
1: If the fights with your spouse have become unbearable, if you feel like you can't take it anymore, there's still hope. Hope Restored Marriage Intensives have helped thousands of couples like yours. Our biblically-based counseling will help you find the root of your problems and face them together. Call us at 1-866-875-2915. We'll talk with you, pray with you, and help you find out which program will work best. That's 1-866-875-2915. once you
5: have that kind of bond you really want to fight for it Mm -hmm. even if it's hard even if it it brings tears and pain you get through it and we've done it and I can tell you going over that rainbow was worth every price we had to go through
2: well Ron and Jan Welch join us today on focus on the family your host is focus president and author Jim Daly and I'm John Fuller Uh, John, marriage is a unique and
0: precious gift from God. And I was reminded by a young lady not long ago. She said, You know, whenever Christians talk about marriage, sometimes they talk about it being a load or, you know, carrying this heavy burden. And uh, I want to say, Yeah, we don't want to project that. We want to say marriage is awesome. Sometimes you got to do some tune up, you got to, you know, you got to pour into it, you got to work at it. But, man, you put that little bit of work in, and marriage is the thing that that drives you. You know, it's fun. It's good. So I want to make sure we start there. And we're going to talk about some of the tune-up things today Mm -hmm. and how to make it even better And I hope that you will lean in with us, especially if you're, you know, kind of in a stalled spot
2: and you want your marriage to be all that it could be. Yeah, and Dr. Ron Welch and his wife Jan are here to talk a little bit more about these things that can make marriage better. Uh, Ron is a clinical psychologist who specializes in marriage and family, and Jan is a teacher who works with at-risk children. And they've been married for over 30 years and have two grown boys and two grandkids, Three, okay, three grandkids, correct the record there. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Welch has written a book called 10 Choices for a Better Marriage, How to Work Through Struggles and Increase Joy Today. Look for details about that at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast.
0: Ron and Jan, it's great to have you back to Focus.
2: Thanks so much. We appreciate being here.
0: Yeah, now Ron, as a psychologist, you work with couples uh, going through some tough stuff. Does choice really factor
6: into how you empower relationships? You know, it it has so much to do with whether people feel they have the, the power to change things. If they don't feel there's a choice and it's sort of like they're stuck, this is the way it has to be. It's the way it's always been, so it's probably the way it's always going to be. Without that, it doesn't feel like there's any choice. If you can change <laughs> that one thought process... Suddenly, everything opens up.
0: Well, you know, you get married, that's choice, right? You're making the you first big choice, and then
6: there's a lot of choices after that, <laughs> right? Every day, all the time. You're always choosing your marriage and you're choosing your partner, or you're choosing yourself, and you kind of have to make a decision about that.
0: Jan, we've covered your marital story before, but give us the recap, the quick thumbnail of you and Ron and, and how you met and married.
5: Oh, we were in a class at DU together, and that's,
0: uh, University of Denver. The
5: University of Denver, and the a professor meet, talks, his first thing he says is people meet and get married in this class. And I was like, <laughs> woohoo! I'm starting to look for who's there. And um, uh, we. Ended up doing a project together and then. Uh, the, next the fatal week, project. The <laughs> fatal project. I was flirting, sick, you know, and he's marking these points. And um, so we ended up going out the next week and talked all night. And I basically talk, kind of told him, I really like you, but I can like you as a friend or maybe something more can grow. And basically, four dates and we were looking at wedding rings. Oh my
0: goodness. Four dates.
5: Four dates.
6: <laughs> okay, wow. That seems a little fast, Ron. <laughs> Just I w- a little. I wish I could say that it was motivated by um, some kind of cognitive thought process that made sense. Most of my family and my friends looked at me and said, "What on earth are you doing?" Uh, to be honest, if you want the honest answer, I was afraid that if she really got to know me, she probably wouldn't want the package that I was. Wow, there's a lot to that. I, I pushed things, yeah. and she was she was ready. It wasn't like she was uh, yeah. on a slow track. But uh, we had to get to know each other after we got married, and that's yeah. not what my sons—not uh, uh, the advice I give my sons at this point.
0: Well, in fact, you use the term "fall in love." That—that that yeah. sounds like you like tripped into it. But uh, talk about your th- use of
6: the word "fall in love." What's that definition? You know, for me, it's more like jumping into love. I think that's where the choice piece comes in. It's—it's it's really a matter of saying, "I want to be with you." I want to change my life the way God wants me to change and become the man that you deserve, and that's a choice. That's jumping. That's not just like a a passive falling into it. It's more a matter of saying I'm making a conscious decision. Now, granted, it might have been good to take longer than four days, but I I think at least six dates. At least six (laughs) dates. That's kind
0: of funny. I mean, Gene and I knew right away. We went Uh to we. Neither one of us were dating. You know, I'd given up dating for a couple of years. Jean was close to that same kind of mm-hmm. attitude. And a couple, a friend of ours, they had gotten married, we met at their wedding, but they kind of, you know, kept pressing us mm-hmm. to get together. And then they called both of us and said, Let's just go out as friends, we go to an Amy Grant concert, I think uh-huh. it was. And uh but we both knew that night yeah. that this could be the one. Yeah. But we were very uh, you know, shy to share that. Yeah. It took months. Yeah. To Actually, probably six or seven months before we started talking, could this be it? And it came
6: out slowly. So that
0: was a little different story than
6: yours. (laughs) It's one of those things where it might have been helpful, obviously, to know more about each other, but there was something about being on the journey together from the very beginning, both of us trying to figure out our childhoods and our development and who we are as people that God used to grow us into ways where I don't know if it would have happened... In a different yeah. story. Or well,
0: around. and the, the bottom line is, you're there. Yep. Whether you come the way John and Dina got there, or you, yep. or you know, Gene and I, you end up. You're there. How mm. do couples choose to love each other every day? Once they've tied the knot, I, I mean, that's kind of interesting to choose it and keep choosing it every day you wake up.
5: Mm. You you don't realize you're making choices, but when you put the word choice in there, then you're like, oh. I do have a choice, and sometimes it's more difficult when things aren't going well to smile and say, "Okay, you really want to do this? I'm in." And you know, I'd rather be sleeping or doing <laughs> something, you know, shopping. But you you make those choices, and I really feel that our struggle was for a purpose. You didn't know it then, but until he wrote these two books, ah. God is using what we've gone through mm-hmm. to help others and it was healing for us but it also we really wanted to help other people and you have to be honest oh yeah we'd love to have covered some things up but he was brutally honest mm-hmm. and yeah. I admire that
0: Ron conflict comes to every relationship uh, at, to a certain degree mm-hmm. you know maybe light conflict maybe really serious conflict but research shows it to be a little more prominent than we might expect. Mm -hmm. Uh, What are the research findings showing us?
6: You know, it's scary. We end up entering into conflict or dealing with conflict five, six, seven times a day in a relationship. It may be, where are we going to go for dinner? It may be, you did that, or you didn't tell me that, or what do you mean you spent that that much, or you (laughs) bought that one. Uh, But then that multiplies. Mm. And they tell us that there's a couple thousand conflicts we enter into every year Mm. Just trying to negotiate. Huh. Well, imagine what happens if a couple doesn't have good conflict negotiation skills, or if they run away from conflict or avoid it, or if they if they get really aggressive with each other. If that's your style and that's how you handle conflict, you do it over and over and over.
0: Mm-hmm. You mentioned in the book uh, some ways we can start believing in our marriages. Mm-hmm. I would think, boy, you're you know the courtship side. You're believing in it. You've said yes to each other. You get married. You're full of belief in this being good. So uh, what does that mean to
6: keep believing? I think you very quickly have some negative experiences that break that belief system. And, you know, the research tells us we need five to seven positive things to make up for every one negative.
0: That's a really important point.
6: Punch that a little bit yeah, because I, I learned that a little late in my It's marriage. hard because if you start making a couple of observations in the morning about critical things, you've now got 14 <laughs> positive things to say before lunch, and it's hard to do that. Yeah. And I find with Jan, my tone of voice or my attitude <laughs> can just destroy her and then try to make up for that and then the next day it's like the last thing she remembers my tone of voice from the day before that's where the patterns get broken yeah we had a guest that suggested putting coins on one
0: side of your pocket every time you give a compliment move it's it from that idea. pocket to the other pocket but when you do something other than a compliment move that coin back back, and where's the change at the end of the day that's a pretty good little uh, idea Uh, janet i understand you run like to play with a couple of stuffed cows now don't go into much detail here but how do the cows help you
5: it's just a way we kind of hide them in unique places so when you find it like i put them in his shoes you know when he was traveling and (laughs) you know you just never know where the cow will end up and it's it's just a way to kind of say, I'm thinking about you. I love you. Hopefully, eventually, you'll find this. And, you know, sometimes we had two or three for <laughs> being adventurous. Yeah. So we have different, you We know.
6: have several of them on a tree in the kitchen yeah. right now. So okay, they're... good. <laughs> good you lost pick a pick cow, out. like you put it somewhere we and both of you it. forgot where?
5: And then it's really funny when who finds it, <laughs> right, but, right. you know. But it's just kind of a way to say, I'm thinking of you. I love you. You're important to me.
0: No, I love that. Yeah, and you could do it with a variety of things. This was the Chick-fil-A cow, I believe. (laughs) Of course it was. Our
5: sons both worked for (laughs) Chick-fil-A. Hey, Ron,
0: talk about the power of commitment. What does it look like to make that choice to be committed, and why is it so important in a
6: healthy marriage? That's a tough one. It's going to be a little hard to talk about it now, too. Um, Recently, the last year, Jan's had some significant hospitalizations. Um, um, Been in situations where the doctors walked out of an ICU unit and told me that, Not a good likelihood she would be there the next morning. Uh. And um, taking care of her at home, wound care as a nurse, packing her wounds every day and putting on wound vacs and things that were just not what I thought husbandry would look like. And then every day you're thinking, I can't thank God enough for the fact that she's here and we get another day to be together. There's perspective. And so commitment is, is saying um, I'm in this no matter what for better or for worse. Right. Mm -hmm. And that means 12 o'clock at night at the hospital, crying my eyes out, trying to figure out whether she's going to be there the next morning. Uh, That's, that's what commitment looks like for me anyway. Wow. I mean, that's
0: powerful. I'm thinking of just how the culture right now is so anti- marriage. Yeah. You know, not everybody, but just generally, yeah. so many young people here, oh, it's a burden, don't do it. Right. You know, you got to give up yourself for that for yeah. another person. And here I see the two of you in tears about a tough time. Yeah. But the giving, giving is not bad. Mm. Sacrificing is not no. bad. And in a me-focused culture, yeah. we really are far healthier if we could get back to you know, this is what love and
6: commitment looks like. When did sacrifice become a dirty word? I don't get that. Yeah. Why is it bad to give? Why is it bad to, to be selfless rather than selfish? Mm-hmm. I don't know where that came from, but I'm sure not happy about the direction the culture's going, and I, I don't think that makes a healthy marriage in any way.
0: Yeah. Moving um, from that kind of commitment to forgiveness, sure. um, and that is so essential, Talk about
6: Charlene and Rico. I think you mentioned a story of the, about them in the book. Sure. I mean, there are situations where um, couples end up hoping and thinking that they'll be able to get past something, but they get stuck because they don't know how to move forward. And I talk with couples a lot about this idea of forgiveness, not just being, oh, my bad. You know, we got it down to two words now. My bad. In some cases, you just pat your chest and we're all good. It's like, no, if you're saying I'm sorry... One of the things we talk about in that story is saying, that means I'm going to work in all my power to become a better person, to not let that happen ever again. And moving forward, we're going to be able to forgive each other and have a different relationship because of that.
2: This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Hey, Jim Daly here. If you like
0: the Focus on the Family broadcast and haven't grown tired of this voice just yet, you'll love my Refocus podcast. On Refocus, I take a deeper dive with a respected thinker on different aspects of culture. I ask those hard questions that maybe they don't get that often, and I don't shy away from challenging topics to help you share God's grace, truth, and love with others. So listen to Refocus with Jim Daly on your favorite
2: streaming app today. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming.
0: Ron, that area of forgiveness, you say there are four elements.
6: Uh, Help us better understand what are those four elements. You know, I think it starts with the idea of being able to actually uh, think about the word repentance, and I'm going to focus on that more than any other because that word also has somehow gotten a bad rap in our our world today. It's okay to say that you are accountable and responsible for your actions, and then in order to be forgiven, you need to repent, and you need to actually say, wow, I need to do some work to figure out how this happened, rather than, ah, my bad, I'm sorry. Well, you know, you think about that.
0: Uh, that happens mostly in the covenant of marriage. Yeah. I mean, yeah. really, there's a societal application of that, yeah. you know, repentance, and yeah. that's what criminals, the penance right. is where we get right. penitentiary. Sure. But it, it's an amazing thing that the core of it, I think, is in the relationship of marriage, Yeah. to yeah. say you're
6: sorry, to be repentant. And theres it's hard sometimes because... I could say I'm sorry early in our marriage, but because of many of my behaviors and activities and, and how I was acting, she'd hear those words, and I don't think you believed them. No.
5: I think when you are forgiving someone, you're basically saying, I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to try my very best not to treat you or do things that, that with what the mistake or whatever that I've done wrong. Yeah. and that makes a difference because you know as we've know our story a lot of times as he would say that it'd be like okay you know I was probably going to do it tomorrow or next week you or didn't something it. it was hard to believe when it was kind of consistently not that didn't happen and once he started ch- making those changes then I was kind of like eh really okay uh-huh. Uh-huh. but you always have to praise the person for their efforts not for their failures mm. and that really wow, that's, made a difference. That's good. Yeah, really made a difference. And he worked hard. I could see it every day. And you have to believe when someone's really changing who they are for you. Mm-hmm. And that's what he does every day. You know, what can I do to help you? And he really
6: means it. Wow, that's good. So, well, give the four, though. So you have to apologize first. You have to repent for what you did you have to account for yourself and take responsibility for that. And then you have to expect success from your partner.
0: Now, those are good right there. That's worth the price of admission. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, You touched on this a bit, but if you're not doing those things, trust is broken. Mm
4: -hmm.
0: And that's the next element in this unfolding. Uh, After forgiveness, you have to build trust. Why is trust such a... A big challenge. Probably the core thing. I'm just thinking in marriage generally, but Gene and I that would be true. Trust mm-hmm. is kind of the foundation of it all. Mm-hmm.
5: I definitely agree with that. And when you when it breaks, it's such a heartache, I think. And that it doesn't have to feel, be the
0: big thing. Like no. infidelity. Trust can be broken every day just in the way you treat me.
5: Exactly. I trusted
0: you to love me. And I don't feel loved. That's a broken yeah. trust.
5: And for me, it was I wanted someone to love me unconditionally, mm-hmm. even with my flaws. And mm-hmm. he kind of disagreed with that. And it was like, oh, okay. So now I have to try and be this person that you want me to be. And it's sometimes really hard to always live up to that. And – um rebuilding it does take time there were times when um, he would ask something and i would lie about it mm-hmm. because i didn't want him to get upset and it was easier to lie mm-hmm. than to say whatever i'd done what i've you know mm-hmm. spent too much money or bought something that oh, i probably shouldn't have done that so you're trying time. to
0: avoid pain and, exactly. and then that probably Ron, for you indicated i can't trust her nope it broke the trust because she's going to lie to me. Right. She's going to hide it anyway. So, man, this is yep. a vicious cycle. And, and, and then at the
6: same time, you're like, wow, so that's what I've done to my wife. Now, my behavior and who I am as a person makes her scared to be honest with me. Let me ask you, though, how do you get to that
0: place for you to realize that your badgering, if I can call it that, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but that badgering, for you to realize she's now misleading because of me
6: that's a big leap rather than just put it all on her well i wish i didn't have to say this but i i saw it because i saw what my sons were doing and i taught them how to treat women i heard i saw them Mm. demanding things from her i saw them being absolute about their beliefs about women and about men and then i realized okay I'm not only doing this to her directly I'm teaching them how they will eventually yeah. treat their wives that was too much and God just slapped me and said you got to do something man this is not acceptable
5: and it's interesting because our son our youngest son Braven and I were having a conversation and he was like why did dad change what made him mm-hmm. change and I said do you want the honest answer and he was like yeah and I said because he saw what how you guys were treating me mm-hmm. and that really made him wake up and say, oh, no, I don't want another generation. Yeah. And I think his willingness to change really affected them as well, mm-hmm. hopefully in the positive.
0: <laughs> no, I mean, that's powerful. And the fact that they could
6: see that, your sons could see that, and learn that lesson with you. We've really. had a lot of conversations as adults about – and they sometimes say I'm hard on myself or a little too tough on myself, but in general, I, I think so they experienced, <laughs> they experienced a lot, and they had to go through some of the same things that she went through.
0: Let me ask this. We only have a few minutes left. So when you're looking at all of this, why do you think we so often take our spouses for granted? And then what in what ways do we do that so we can all be more cognizant of it?
6: You know, I, I think it's really amazing that we will say things to our spouses we won't say to a stranger on the street. It somehow becomes okay to use a tone of voice or be derogatory or say, hey, can you do this? And it's like, Or why didn't you do this? Can, can you be kind and nice? I mean, somehow we take each other for granted. And one of the things I suggest that I think really helps is to mm. sit down at the beginning of the week and ask yourself when you're going to be married this week. And I ask that question with the couples I work with all the time to say, okay, you look at your schedules, and you know there's all these appointments and work and church. And the dogs and some guy named Frank gets in there. Everybody gets in the schedules. But your wife and your husband's name never appear for the whole week. And I ask people to look at the schedule and say, let's schedule some time for us. Let's schedule a check-in time during the middle of the week when we can say, hey, if we haven't had a chance to talk about something, let's talk about it now. And then schedule some time when you can just sit together and enjoy your relationship and be married. If you can't look at the week and find a time to be married – How are you going to do it successfully? Let's hit a couple of these marriage moments because these are
0: really good, too. Marriage moment number one, the schedule. You've touched on this, Ron. This is a designated time to review your and your spouse's schedules together for the week. Yes. You kind of
6: mentioned that check-in. Right. So when do you guys do this? We tend to be early, uh, early or late on Sundays. Um, a lot of times it's after church or in the evenings. We often go to church on Saturday evenings. Um, but it's, it's kind of like, what's the week going to look like? Or Am I going to see you? Um, and there's sometimes when we look and it's like, wow, we're going to have to put some serious effort into this. Um, and then the check-in is kind of to say, how are we doing later on during the week? Yeah, second check-in is about raising issues, right? So
0: describe that. I'm, right, I am probably, right. this is where Jean does a good job again. She'll say, you know, can we
6: talk about this? And I'm
0: like, ah, this is the last thing I want to talk about. <laughs> yes. Yeah, let's talk about it next year, maybe
6: next month, but not now. Yeah. You know, I have to tell couples, if you don't actually have a time that you're agreeing to have a connection, then what happens is if they're in counseling, for instance, the only time they bring things up are in counseling. And they don't learn to do that on a regular basis. So I suggest that they have their own counseling appointment on their own and see how it goes. And sometimes it ends quickly. (laughs) But you have this time where you say, I know this is the time for the stuff we really don't want to talk about. And we're going to agree that we're not going to back out. We're not going to find a reason not to do it. We're not going to say, oh, man, I'd love to do that. But I got to mow the lawn. Right. No, lawn doesn't count. (laughs) It's like we're going to show up and we're going to be there even for the hard stuff. I got to stop using that excuse. Okay. (laughs) That last
0: one is important, too, the date. You know, we all talk about a date night, and Gina and I are pretty good about doing that. We go to a favorite restaurant. Mm -hmm. But in that context, I think one of the things we violate is we'll bring up all the stuff we haven't dealt with, with other, you know, where the boy's at, what the boy's doing. And it doesn't
6: feel like a date. Right. Right. And it can't be like a movie where you sit and watch a screen for two hours. That does no good. It can't be something where you're just going to be disconnected. It has to be where we're going to remember why we're married. Mm. We're going to remember the feelings we had when we first decided to get engaged, and we're going to just enjoy and share in our in our company and be so happy that we're together.
5: You know, those are the times. It's, it's harder, I think, sometimes if you have children and you have to pay a babysitter. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, sometimes you can do um, neighbors and, you know, yeah. you share, they watch it, then the other. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just the intention of reconnecting because as you continue in your marriage, all those memories – you share with that person, yeah. we can look at each other sometimes and, like, uh huh, uh huh. The great pancake say? incident of 2019. Yeah.
6: <laughs> yeah. Exactly.
5: You know, the flood, the fire, you know, all those fun things that we have experienced just us. Yeah. yeah. And the moments are children that are so special. And once you have that kind of bond, you really want to fight for it. Mm-hmm. Even if it's hard, even if. It brings tears and pain. You get through it, and we've done it. And I can tell you, going over that rainbow was worth every price Mm -hmm. we had to go through. It made us stronger. It made us deeper. And, you know, writing these books really... Bring a lot of those out, those memories out.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. And we're right at the end here. And I, I think the best place to end would be for the couple that's listening. Maybe either one of them. The wife's listening right now going, okay, we've blown so many things that I've heard right now. All these things that you're talking about, uh, I've done them, or both my husband and I have done them. How do, they, how do they course correct? What are some things they can do? Obviously, get the book. That's a great way. It's, it's a quick read, 10 Choices for a Better Marriage. It doesn't get any easier than that. Here are the 10 things to think about. And you've touched on so many of those things. But what can they
6: do tonight that'll be different to rekindle that relationship and make it really good? You know, the great thing is that God's giving us all a new day tomorrow. And we get to wake up and say, how do we want to live this day? How do I want to love my spouse? How do I want to become the man or woman God wants me to be? What can I say to my spouse to say, you know what? I need to apologize. I need to repent. I need to start over. What can we do tomorrow to make it a brand new day? And then if that doesn't quite turn out right, Guess what? God's going to give you another shot the next day as well. Yeah, but again, what a great
0: reminder. And I want to reassert what I said from the beginning, that Mm -hmm. so often we're talking about how to fix wobbly marriages. And the good thing is, man, when you get married, just don't let it wobble. Do these things from the get-go. And uh, all the research and the studies show that the happiest people in this country and around the world are married people with a faith in Christ. Yep. I mean that's what yep. we're we're ahead of the game. Yep. So now we just have to apply yeah. these principles and love each other and respect each other and do the things that you've captured in this book, and certainly the things that are captured in the book. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, and if we do those things, we will have a really fulfilling, yeah. lifelong commitment to the one we love. And at the end yeah. of life, what's more important? I know. This is it. So, thank you both, Ron and Jan. Thank you so much for having us. And let me tell you if you are saying, yeah, we need the help, get in touch with us. Man, not only do we have this great book, 10 Choices for a Better Marriage, but also counselors and a heap of material Mm -hmm. to help you, including a marriage assessment and other things you could do at the Focus website that will really benefit you and get you moving in the right direction.
2: Yeah, donate today as you can, either a monthly gift or a one-time uh, donation of any amount. And as our way of saying thank you for joining the support team, we'll send a copy of the book by Ron Welch, 10 Choices for a Better Marriage. You can also access all the great materials Jim just mentioned at our website, focusonthefamily.com broadcast. Or give us a call, our number's 800, the letter A, and the word family.